0: Good morning, Dr. Rajbans. Good morning. Good to have you back with us Thank for you. HealthWise.
1: All right, Time Let- to get learning about these new medical breakthroughs. Right? Okay,
0: let's get to our first article from Medical News Today. And it actually says that research has shown that gut bacteria could help diagnose diabetes. Why, doctor? Why is gut bacteria important to diagnose diabetes?
2: The research that they did and they found that, you know, I think millions of gut bacteria in our gut and now they're learning a lot of things about these good bacteria that actually support us in microbiome that has been with us from ever since I think humans were there and uh, they have a symbiotic relationship with us. But what this study showed us that, you know, when they looked at all the diabetics, they found that 13 bacteria that were in standing out and that is supposedly related with diabetes. Whether that's a easy way to diagnose I don't know I don't see the easy way because so we can lot of better ways to diagnose diabetes you can you just do a finger prick and you can do all these other blood yeah. tests now the question is knowing this microbiome whether it's more important for me to know whether adjusting these bacteria whether getting more of that or whether getting different type of bacteria can we prevent diabetes you know whether certain bacteria might be able to be there to reduce the absorption of carbohydrates or whatever I think that's where the more interesting research will be can we do things with our gut bacteria you know get more of the better ones and I think there's a lot of research in that they're looking at things like autism uh, you know leaky gut syndrome and all the causes of inflammation so I think our gut bacteria are going to play a real big role and I think that's one of the biggest research that they are looking at concerning a lot of diseases that are involved with inflammation you know from things like inflammatory bowel diseases to all the autoimmune diseases to even cancer Mm. right and even they're looking at whether our gut bacteria can help us in metabolic diseases you know whether our obesity and diabetes and hypertension and all these can actually be caused or can be prevented by doing or having the right sort of bacteria very interesting this is going to be a really interesting future where we look at our own gut bacteria and see what we can do not just to diagnose but to even prevent disease
0: Interesting. And I remember you always say that uh, probiotics will help with the gut bacteria.
2: Yeah. So taking
0: a dose of probiotics a day will help.
2: No harm. I think definitely no harm. But the good bacteria probiotics need prebiotics and prebiotics are your fiber. So again, the right diet, taking the right fruits and vegetables that gives the right fiber, the right sort of food for the good bacteria. You know, you can take things like uh, your own yogurt or whatever, you know, that also have bacteria. But if you feel you need more, then you can take a supplement because there are a lot in the market now.
0: Let's get to our next article. This is all about herd immunity. Now, herd immunity actually eradicated smallpox and polio. Could COVID-19 be eradicated by herd immunity as well?
2: It's uh, a bit more complicated with COVID-19 because uh, certain sort of bacterial viruses with the right sort of vaccines, I think it was vaccination that uh, created the sort of herd immunity. That means enough people got immune to the disease that the virus can't spread anymore.
0: How does it work actually, herd immunity? Yeah.
2: If all of us get immune to the disease because we already have immunity, antibodies again, that virus or bacteria, then if virus comes and just enters us, it's not going to work anymore because our body is an antibody to kill it. So if enough people got immunity, so the virus will just fizzle out and it will just die off because it can't spread the disease anymore.
0: So does that mean that everyone will have to have COVID-19 first and get better from it to gain the immunity yeah, at this point?
2: So that's one of the things that people used to do. 10 years ago when that H1N1, that's a lot of people did. They call it H1N1 parties and had herd immunity. Oh God, and okay. People are trying the same thing with this one. It's not working that well, you know, because COVID is a much more serious uh, virus. So one is whether you find a vaccine, vaccinate everybody, and number two, whether enough people get affected by the virus that the virus can't spread anymore because people got resistance. But the problem with viruses like COVID is like influenza; they mutate more easily. So with influenza, you need to take vaccine every year. You can't take a vaccine and lifelong, like for things like you know polio or diphtheria or tetanus, you just take a vaccine and most of it lifelong. Uh, whereas uh, influenza, and I think covid will be where they mutate more easily so you might take a vaccine but maybe after one two three years the vaccine might wear off the effect and uh, you need to revaccinate so a bit more difficult to get herd immunity Over the long term, I think with COVID, that's where the problem will be. Short term, yes, I think if you get a vaccine short term, you know, just like influenza, you will be immune for a year. But after a year or two years, you have to take a booster.
1: So please don't have COVID-19 parties to think that you're going to get immunity, right?
2: I think it's not working. So far, I've seen that we don't have the herd immunity. So I think you just avoid it.
0: This next one is interesting. Bubonic plague case confirmed in China's Inner Mongolia. Now we've heard of the bubonic plague from history books but what is it and how does it affect us? Doctor.
2: It's a bacterial infection, you know. So, when it caused the Black Death in Europe, basically it affected Europe and killed a lot of people. Interesting, then it died off by itself. But that case in Mongolia, I think there's one case in Mongolia. It can be a very serious illness. If not treated, 90% mortality. The thing is, uh, again, the same symptoms like most uh, of these infections. You get fever, you get headache, you can get lung infection, you get septicemia, you can get fits. It can be very fatal. But the good thing is that now we have discovered antibiotics. So, we can treat it with some good antibiotics. And if you diagnose early Treat it early Mortality reduces a lot Still I think as mortality Can be as high 20-30% Even with treatment So early diagnosis And early treatment The prognosis Is much better It's no more Like what it was la, You know So bacteria Antibiotics We can treat Or you know, can be cured Unlike viruses Which we still Don't have the treatment So I'm not so worried About bubonic plague Becoming another black Death. And I think We have that well, I call it the arsenal To treat this disease. Right, right, okay. Okay. Yeah, so But what a,
0: is the cause of the bubonic plague. like it's a flea bite a flea
2: uh it's a flea bite so the flea is the one who bites you and you get this bacteria from that is it flea or a tick one, right, those, it's a, one but of it's those a, <laughs> right but it's not just
1: like anyone any particular it's one specific flea that
2: does it oh i think fleas that carry that uh, bacteria right okay mm. so if you diagnose it and you think of it then treatment is there the only thing is because it's been away for so long yeah that uh, doctors may not think of that diagnosis because they will think of so many others mm. you know think causing infection uh, so if they delay in diagnosis or treatment then can be more serious.
0: A flea bite can cause a plague. Wow, interesting.
2: Okay, clean up your animals (laughs) just because they have ticks and
1: fleas and everything. That's creepy.
0: Now, new research published in the Journal of Physiology shows that 12 weeks of easy-to-administer passive stretching helps improve blood flow by making it easier for your arteries to dilate and decreasing their stiffness. Now, doctor, what's the difference between passive stretching and Active stretching.
2: Yeah, so passive, stretching is somebody, you know, using gravity or somebody else helping you stretch. Okay. Whereas active and you're doing it yourself. So that's the difference. So passive is much easier because somebody else is helping you. But it's interesting that even passive stretching can help to dilate arteries and reduce stiffness. Because I think, but all sort of exercise, actually will do that. That's sort of the key for exercise, whether active stretching or passive stretching. So, but maybe for people who are older or, you know, they can't do active stretching, mm-hmm. then passive stretching will help them. Or maybe someone like after suffering, from a let's say a surgery or a stroke or whatever then passive stretching will still be better than not doing anything but any exercise we have to look at the four type of exercises that I always talk about one is your cardio respiratory that means your cardio things are walking jogging cycling flexibility that's where your stretching comes in you know you must make sure that everything is flexible strengthening that means you must have certain sort of strength muscle building and core exercises because most people over time the back and the front are where they have the biggest issue So these are the four exercises you must incorporate into your... Because a lot of people do only one Mm. you know some people just jog 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 and they got nothing they got no muscle they got nothing yeah and their backs are weak and they get back problems so you must incorporate all four i know people who just do weight training yeah they're all into the big this thing but they are cardio they're probably not very fit yeah, overall yeah. and most of these people do a lot of weight training they are not flexible they might still have problems with artery stiffness so it's a combination of all these exercises and it's just simple that you alternate some of these exercises every day you know just don't stick to one.
0: How does Does exercise actually decrease the stiffness of the arteries? Blood
2: flow. Your blood flow improves the blood flow. Just like your muscles get less, uh, you know, you're stretching them. The muscles get less uh, stiff. Same with the arteries. They also have good blood flow. Stiffness will definitely decrease so
1: yoga must be a really good exercise for this
2: I think all these exercises that yoga uh, tai chi qigong they actually incorporate all the four things you spoke about because people who really do the right yoga or or qigong you actually even get cardiorespiratory you get flexibility you get stretching and everything you actually do your core exercises and actually there's a lot of resistance so you actually are strengthening
0: Yeah, but when I look at people doing tai chi and qigong it just looks like super slow it doesn't look like they're working any part of their body
2: but you sweat Like crazy,
1: though, when you do that, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's interesting that uh, most of the Asian exercises. Are like that. If you look at Tai Chi or Yoga or Qigong or Silat, yeah, yeah, you know, they are all very into that. Is I think the more uh, more the Americans are called who went into all these things like marathon runs and yeah, yeah, all that. So I think we still look back at some of the things that we do. You know, Asian culture is actually very good.
0: This last article is about smoking. What happens after you quit smoking? And in this article, there's a timeline that says that you know after one year, your risk of heart disease is decreased by fifty percent, and after ten years, your risk for lung cancer is almost the same as a non-smoker and things like that. So how accurate is this timeline doctor in terms of health benefits to someone who has stopped smoking?
2: So I'm not sure because they are quite detailed. Uh, 20 minutes what happens and then <laughs> one hour and then what we know from uh, earlier studies is a non-smoker when he stops smoking, of course uh, his uh, you know, overall physical being his uh, coughing will get less, he breathing better within a few days he starts getting better. After 13 to 15 years is equivalent to someone who never smoked mm. then it takes that long before you say that i've stopped smoking so now I'm, my risk is the same as someone non-smoker after 13 to 15 years so that shows how long it is before you actually have the same risk as a non-smoker. So the faster you stop smoking, the better. All the other timelines, like within a year, heart disease decreases. And within certain years, your risk of cancer. 10 years, they say lung cancer decreases. So probably all that is yeah, quite true. Like we just said earlier, both of you all said that best you don't start smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that will be the best thing. One thing you have to be careful is that a lot of smokers, when they stop smoking, they start eating more. Um. Appetite improves and they put on weight. And sometimes that can counter a bit of the benefits of <laughs> not smoking So just to be careful on that part. I think smoking is one of the biggest cause of a lot of disease out there and I'm surprised that till today no government has actually banned it you know? uh, it's all over the world the amount of people who get cancers and lung diseases and heart diseases and probably many other things that we don't even know uh, from smoking and it's not the smoking that you know. if somebody smokes it's not our right to tell them to stop but what I'm worried about is the secondary and tertiary smoking mm. which is now found to be just as bad as you no know, smoking self so what about the husband? husbands smoke what about the wife what about the kids what about the people outside there when someone is smoking so one thing that the government has done stop smoking in, in restaurants and all those things uh, I think it's a really good thing because a lot of people don't know that mm. you know I've seen people before the band came There was someone sitting there and smoking away, you know, and you can't do anything about it. He, all over the chairs, actually, that's where the tertiary smoking starts. He leaves. Ten minutes later, there's a whole family that comes in and sits on the same chairs. No one has cleaned those chairs, right? And all the young kids are there and they are touching and they're playing and everything. And, you know, they're exposed to all these chemicals, right? So no one actually thinks of it. They won't know because... They came and someone has left. Mm. So it's very good that they have done that. And I think, best you don't start smoking. And if you're smoking, try to stop. Remember, even if you stop, it takes many years before you get the benefits of a non-smoker.
0: Does this only happen if you're a long-term smoker? What if you've only smoked for like five years?
2: Uh, still, you're already getting changes in your body anyway. You know, you've got about two to 4,000 chemicals that are formed from the cigarette smoke. And the more the damage they're doing to your body over time, your body is fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. But uh, a time will come and you'll just give up. The immune system will give up and the cancer cell will form or your lung gas damage or some inflammation will start somewhere.
1: Is there a good way to stop smoking, though? I mean, like, I've heard people say if you stop cold turkey, it's actually... Actually,
2: from my own experience, a lot of patients, uh, the ones who succeed are the cold turkey ones. They just one day decide, make a decision and they just stop. But trying all those things like patches and all, it just, uh, you know, I find that most of them do fall back into smoking.
1: Mm. So the best solution, don't start smoking.
2: Yes. (laughs)